This is ProBlogger. Hey there, friends. It's Darren Rouse from ProBlogger. Welcome to episode 278 of the ProBlogger podcast, a podcast designed to help you start a blog, to build that blog, and to monetize it. Now, today I've got a special treat for you. It is a keynote that I gave a couple of years ago at our ProBlogger event in Melbourne. It's titled Evolve, Don't Revolve. And it's all about how as bloggers and online entrepreneurs, it's really easy to revolve in our blogging, to um, just go around in circles. I don't know if you can relate to that feeling of going around in circles. I certainly can. There's been many times over my 15 years of blogging where I've realized I'm kind of just treading water. I'm, I've kind of stopped growing. I've stopped evolving. And so the call of this keynote is to look at seven different areas where you can evolve your blog and online business. And it's a, also a taster of what we do at our Evolve event, our ProBlogger event, which we've been running now for quite a few years. And we've got our new event coming up in August of this year on the 10th and 11th of August, again in Melbourne. I want to tell you a little bit about that event um, before we get into the keynote. Um, there's two options for those of you who want to come to our event in Melbourne. Uh, on the 10th of August, we've got a training day. This is a one-day event for beginners, intermediate level bloggers, um, but it's also probably relevant for other content creators as well. If you head to problogger.com forward slash events, you can actually see a rundown of what we're doing at that particular event. Largely though, it's me. Um, and you'll get a full day of me teaching on the four key areas of building a successful blog. I'm going to talk for about an hour about content and crafting great content for your blog. I'll talk about evolving your engagement with your readers and how to um, build community on your blog, how to find new readers for your blog, and then how to monetize your blog. This is perfect if you are a beginner or intermediate level. If you're just starting out, you've just set up your blog, maybe with our starter blog course, this is brilliant to help you get the ball rolling. But if you're more intermediate, maybe you've been blogging for a while and you want to evolve what you're doing, maybe from a hobby blog to a professional blog where you make money from it, or maybe you've had a blog that's gone a little bit dormant, a little bit stagnant, and you want to kind of give it a refresh, um, then this is the perfect event for you. You'll also at that event hear from Jeff Goins, who we're bringing out from Nashville, Tennessee uh, in the States. Uh, he's going to come out and do the keynote on finding your voice as a blogger. He's brilliant on that particular topic and a really great teacher when it comes to writing and communicating on a blog. You'll also hear a little bit from Nicole Avery at the end of that day as well. Uh, she talk about productivity and uh, really help you to shape what you're going to do as a result of the day. The other option for those of you who are a little bit more intermediate and advanced is to come along to our mastermind. This is the second time we've held masterminds at our ProBlogger events, and it's being held this time over two days, the 10th and 11th of August, again in Melbourne. So it will actually overlap with our training day. You'll hear the same keynote from Jeff Goins at the start of the day. And then the rest of the two days, you'll hear from some other people, including James Shramko, who is a Sydney-based content creator and business owner. James uh, is brilliant on selling and helping you to grow a business. He's brilliant on membership sites and just a really smart guy. You also um, get 
to sit around the table with Jeff and James, um, masterminding myself as well on the second day. And then Nicole is uh, there as well. I've also got Kelly Exeter, who's brilliant on writing, editing, also design, self-publishing, and Shane Tilly from 99designs, who's spoken at all of our events, and he's brilliant on creating products for your blog, marketing, and just really helping you to shape your business. So you've get the opportunity at the mastermind to sit with all of those people and also other attendees. And this is where the real value comes when you sit with other bloggers and online creators um, and entrepreneurs and spend a couple of days really workshopping your business. So if you'd like to get to our event on the 10th and 11th, of August this year, just head over to problogger.com forward slash events and you can see all the details there. We do currently have an early bird offer um, and that ends at the end of June. So you don't have long to uh, grab your tickets at that special rate. All right, I'm going to get into today's keynote. You're also at the end of this keynote here from a familiar voice to many of you um, from Pat Flynn. Pat was at our event. We fly out at least one international guest every year. This year, it's Jeff Goins, but Pat was at our event two years ago, and I interview Pat on stage, and there's a bit of Q&A with our audience as well, as we talk particularly, again, about him and how he's evolved his blog. And Pat's just a brilliant example of someone who has done that brilliantly over the years. What he's doing today is very different to what he started out doing, and I think that's the reason that he has had so much success. So... Settle in, maybe grab yourself a uh, beverage or something to eat because this goes for about an hour, a bit over an hour, and uh, you may even want to break it down into two sessions. That's totally fine as well. There's lots of practical stuff in this. And if you also want to check out the slides, um, head over today to our show notes at problogger.com forward slash podcast forward slash 278 where you'll be able to get the slides because there are a few things in this talk where I do refer to stuff that's on the screen, including a few jokes um, and funny bits as well. Hope you enjoy this keynote and I'll come back at the end just to wrap things up. Creating great content, finding an audience, building engagement, monetizing your blog. This is ProBlogger. I was um, interviewed on a radio um, just recently. We'll go back to my slides if we can, Marty. Um, I was interviewed on a radio recently and someone asked me that same question, but they asked me to go back to the very start of my blog and said, what has changed in your blogging since you started? Now, I started blogging in 2002 and uh, it was a kind of a mind-blowing kind of question to be asked because everything has changed in my blogging since 2002, except for the fact that a blog is pretty much the same thing. It's chronologically organized information. It's got comments usually, um, and it's content, and it's useful content. That's always been my philosophy. So 15 years of blogging, uh, things have changed a lot for me. Um, this is uh, the first article anyone ever wrote about me, and it was written in 2006, and uh, I found it the other day. It was a screenshot, and uh, I had to You're listening things have changed. You're listening to Blogger. When I read the article, I realized things have changed, but also the picture. Um, hopefully, I look a little less stressed than, uh, than I did back then. Um, I don't know what it was, but this photographer just seemed obsessed with me putting my hands on my head. Um, these are the pictures he took that day. 
And I'm like, uh, I thought I was, you know, maybe looking seriously or maybe wanted to cover up the fact that I was bald or something like that. But anyway, things have changed for me. I now know how to pose slightly differently um, for, for photos. That's partly because I've got an um, Instagram-obsessed wife and she knows, you know, you've got to do all this kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, things have changed a lot and I kind of look back on those, those times and think um, things have changed uh, for me a lot. This is my first blog post. Um, when I first published it, it didn't look like this. I, I started on Blogspot. Um, which became Blogger, and my first theme was um, a free theme that was only six to choose from, and it was navy blue and black, uh, monochrome, and it was the most ugly thing that you've ever seen. Um, and then this is my first attempt at a um, blog design. It's pretty much the only time I've ever attempted a blog design, um, and I realised very quickly that um, even after three weeks of work to get to this point that I wasn't really very good at it. Um, but even if you look at that post, you'll see things have changed. I used a tiny little font. There was no pictures at all on any post that I wrote. Um, the tools that I was using, Blogger, uh, they were very basic. You couldn't even have comments on Blogger when I first started. You had to install a script. So there's lots of things have changed since um, 2002. The next question I was asked in the interview when I sort of recapped some of these things was, how did you make the change from where you were then to where you are now? This is the most impossible question I've been asked because I knew that the interview only had three minutes to go. It's like, how did you do it? How do you, how do you transition from those awkward starts that we all start with to a point where you have a business around your blog or you're a full-time blogger or whatever it is that is your goal? And I've, I completely stuffed up my answer and I've been stressing about how I answered that on the radio that day and I've been thinking about how I should have responded. And if I'd had 45 minutes to um, answer, I probably would have told you what I'm about to tell you. Um, and that's what I want to um, really is give my proper answer today. How do you change um, from those awkward starts to building a business to realising your goals of blogging? The first thing I wish I'd said was that persistence really is 90% of it. Persistence really is 90% of it. And it's not the sexiest answer, it's not a strategic answer, but it's true. I love this, um, this quote from Albert Einstein. It's not that I'm so smart, it's just that I've stuck with problems longer. Now, I think there's probably a bit of false modesty in that from Albert Einstein saying he's not that smart. But I really relate to that. I look around this room and I know I'm not the best writer in this room. I'm not the best writer out there. I'm not the best marketer. I'm not the best at the technology. I'm certainly not the best blog designer. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not the best at anything, but I've really stuck at it for a long time. And I think persistence has really paid off for me. I love the story of the tortoise and the hare or the turtle and the hare. And so you're going to see a few turtles today because uh, the, the turtle, I really relate to that turtle taking one small step after another, keeping the momentum going is just so important. And really, I think 90% of any success I've had has come from persistence. So what do you need to persist with? I think success, and I, I've shared this quote um, a few times now at this event, but success is usually more about doing the things that you know you should be doing rather than trying to find the secret strategies, the secret source all the time. And I say this at the front of this event because a lot of our new attendees often come going, hey, what's the real secret? How am I really going to do this? And they're looking for that thing that's going to just escalate things for them. And some of the strategies that you hear will escalate you forward. But really, what is going to grow you the most is doing the things you already know you should be doing. And they're the things that you probably knew when you first started your blog already. 
The first one um, is, uh, and we call these the pillars of pro-blogging, and you may have heard us talk about these before. Chris Garrett, who wrote the um, pro-blogger book with me, uh, we came up with these in 2009, and we actually based the first event on these four pillars, and that's what we're doing again today. So the first one is content. You know, on day one, when I wrote that first blog post, I knew that I needed to write content. We all do. This is just no-brainer stuff. You look at that first blog that you set up, and you see there's no posts, and so you instinctively you know you need to create content for it, or else it's not really a blog. And really for me, this is obviously the, the key to it. Every post you write is building the asset of your blog. Every useful piece of content um, that you write, that it's the archives that really is um, the value. Um, and a lot of bloggers do look for that viral piece of content and they just want to write one piece of content that's going to escalate them and occasionally those viral pieces of content do come and they do escalate you forward. But really it's persisting with your content. So this is one of those things you already know that you should be doing but you need to persist with it. Um, and it's so important to do. The second pillar is community, it's engagement. It's about um, uh, interaction. You know, the web in 2002 was changing. Previous to 2000, I reckon that most people went online trying to download stuff. A lot of it was dodgy. Um, they, they just were satisfied to go online and get stuff, receive stuff, download stuff. And that's what I used to do. I used to go online and research um, uh, the essays I was writing, I was studying at the time, I was downloading stuff. But it, around 2000, um, and even before, but really it started to escalate 2000, 2002, people realised that they could interact more and the web became a much more in interactive space and this is the beginnings of social media. Um, it probably started with user boards and internet chat and some of these older technologies, but blogging really escalated this. And this is the, the reason I started blogging was that I saw it was an interactive medium and I saw that people were really engaging. The day I installed comments on my first blog, and it took me about a week to do it, um, I saw my blog improve incredibly. As people um, uh, improved the content I was writing, there's that engagement, people sharing their stories, sharing their experience, disagreeing um, and, and encouraging those types of things, it really improved the content that I was creating. And I realised that my blog grew faster the more engaging it was. And so community is so important, but the thing about community is that it doesn't just happen in one day, it takes time and it takes persistence. So every time you respond to a comment, every time you respond to an email, every time you engage with someone on social media, you're building the asset of your blog. It's persistence with community and engagement that's so important. Number three pillars, traffic. And uh, we all, does everyone re remember that first day where you realise you've written a piece of content and no one is reading it except for you? Um, that feeling sometimes lasts for some of us for weeks. Um, and then someone shows up on your blog and you realise that someone found your blog. Now, I, I remember that moment very clearly. I published my first post and then my next feeling was, how am I going to get people to read the post? So I did what almost every blogger does. I spammed all my friends and said, here's my blog. And that's how most of us start. And most of us realise that we can't really sustain that approach for too long. Our friends are only going to put up with those emails for the first few days. But we've learnt something on that first day. We've learnt that we need to take responsibility for driving traffic to our blog. It's something that we need to take initiative to. And we all have these dreams that if we just write good enough content, floods of traffic is going to come to us. 
But in the early days of our blog particularly, we need to take the initiative and we need to take steps to drive traffic. And that really shouldn't go away. We should always be thinking, how am I going to drive traffic to my blog? Where can I be engaging? Where can I be useful? Where can I um, build my profile and drive some traffic back to my blog? This is something we need to persist with. Now, in time, word of mouth does kick in. Our readers begin to spread the word for us. But even today, 15 years later, I'm still asking myself, how can I get traffic to my blog? In fact, just two days ago, I said to my team, we really need to up our game in this area because we've noticed our traffic is sliding from some of our old steady sources of traffic like Facebook. You know, the Facebook algorithm is killing us all at the moment. We need to be more proactive with that we need to take some more initiative on that front. So traffic is the third pillar. Now, this is all stuff that we all know on the first day of our blog. We know we need content, engagement, and traffic. And the fourth pillar is another thing that if we want a profitable blog, we need to be proactive in, and that is the area of monetization. And for me, this really didn't even kick in for a year and a half because I didn't know that you could monetize a blog back in 2002. No one really was doing it. But again, I learnt very quickly that um, even though I dreamt of a passive income stream for my blog, that I needed to do some work to get that passive income stream going in the early days. And this is another area we need to persist with. Now, this is a common theme at ProBlogger events, so if you've been to our events before, you know I talk a lot about putting the time aside to monetize your blog. I think it was about four years ago I did, um, I put a challenge to our community and said, put aside 15 minutes every day to monetize your blog in some way. You know, we all put aside time to write content, we put aside time to engage with our audience, we put aside time to promote our blog, but most of us don't put aside time on a regular daily basis to monetize our blog, at least a lot of bloggers don't. And so back four years ago, I put that challenge out. And I remember um, a lot of bloggers took up that challenge and that, uh, 12 months later, at the next event, I was amazed at how many bloggers came up to me and said, you know, I took the 15-minute 15 15 challenge and I wrote a book this year. I wrote a book I would never have written. I wrote an e-book. I launched a course. I launched a membership site. And I can see people in the room who actually came up to me and said that 15 minutes a day challenge changed my blog. And to me, it really was a great illustration of how persistence in this pillar pays off. And I think this is probably one of the biggest messages I want to get across to new users. If you want a profitable blog, you need to take some initiative in this, no matter what model you use. So persistence in this area is so important. Persist with content, engagement, traffic, monetization. It's the accumulation of the little steps that you take in these areas that really is going to put you in the best position for a profitable blog. It's not the secret strategies, it's these four things. And that's why we've designed today around these four things. We want you to persist in these areas. So here's a question for you. Which of these four things is your weakest link? Which one's the weaker one for you at the moment? Where have you been putting all your energy? That's great that you've been putting your energy there, but where maybe have you been kind of taking the foot off the accelerator this year? For me, every year it's been different. Every year I realise that there's been times where content, I I've, I've really haven't put as much time into my content. Or there's been times where I've really just not served my readers and engaged with them as much as I could have. Or, like this year, maybe I've got a bit lax with driving traffic. Maybe I've been focusing on the other things. Or maybe it's been monetization. And there are times in your blog's life cycle where you probably do need to focus more on one thing, but then there are other times where you need to just ask yourself again, where have I been missing out? 
Um, and so that's one of the key questions I would ask you to ponder today as you think about your next steps with your blog. So persist. Persisting is so important, but it's not enough. And uh, I often hear you know, business um, quotes. There's a lot of quotes about persisting. And it, sometimes it sounds like all you have to do is persist. Actually, it's not. <laughs> persisting is really important, but um, there's something else that I think is just so important. And we've actually chosen six speakers uh, to speak to you today uh, and tomorrow. Shane's coming tomorrow for the Mastermind. Um, we've chosen people who I believe have persisted, but they've done this other thing as well. So I've been talking about the tortoise. I actually felt really sorry for the hare growing up. I don't know whether you did, but I, I used to think the hare had wasted potential. It had some qualities that if it had just applied itself a little bit more, perhaps hadn't been so distracted, maybe could have um, been a good thing. And so um, I'm an empathetic kid. So I was an empathetic kid. So um, I always looked for, you know, how could the hare have won the race? And uh, I actually think that there are some things that we could learn from the hare that our speakers have as a quality as well. You know, as I look at that first blog, I can see things have changed. I didn't just persist to get my blogs to the point they are today. And you can see that things have changed. You know, if I had have just persisted on this blog design, I don't think I would have got there. If I had have persisted with tiny fonts like I did back then, I wouldn't have got there. If I had have persisted with just written content, no visual content, I don't think I would have gotten where I am today. Things changed. And I think the, the lesson that we can learn from the hair is that they're quick um, to change direction. I don't know if you've ever, has anyone ever tried to catch a rabbit in the wild? It's very hard to do, um, and it can be a bit cruel if you do it the right way. Um, but I grew up, um, my parents actually lived on farms for a long time, and so I spent a lot of time chasing all kinds of animals on those farms, including rabbits, and I never caught one. And it wasn't that they were just fast, it was that they had the ability to change directions, and they were very nimble. I love this quote from Richard Branson, every success story is a tale of constant adaptation and revision and change. And that's certainly been the story for me. And so evolution is really important, evolving. And that's why we've called this event Evolve, because persistence isn't enough. We need to evolve what we do. Persist in those pillars, but evolve what we do in those pillars as well. Why is evolving so important? It's because everything around us right now is evolving. Has anyone noticed that the space we're engaging in is just changing? We could run an event every month and still not keep up with the trends in blogging and the online space at the moment. It is changing so very fast. The challenges in front of us as bloggers at the moment are just changing all the time. And as a result, we need to evolve. One of the massive challenges that faces us at the moment is noise. Is anyone struggling with noise at the moment? There's so much content being produced in all of the niches that we're in. There's tens of millions of blogs producing hundreds of millions of pieces of content. Um, there's so many different platforms now. When I started blogging, it was kind of, there was, really wasn't that many ways to create content on now. Now we can do it on YouTube and Instagram and all these social networks. There's different platforms for blogging, all, all, all these places is producing noise. We've got mainstream media producing amazing amounts of content. The Washington Post is publishing over a thousand articles a week. And some of those articles are being written by computers now. And you can't even tell the difference between the computer written content and the, and the human written content. And that's just going to escalate more and more. We're seeing the rise in bots and messenger bots. And this is all more noise and more content. We're seeing the automation and repurposing of content. 
I was talking to one blogger earlier this year about the noise and she said, I think I'm making it a lot of it myself. And I'm like, why? What are you saying? And I'm like, well, I write three blog posts a week. And I'm like, well, that's not that much noise. You're not really contributing. She said, no, you don't understand. That's just three posts a week. And then this is what I do to promote those posts. And she, she created this checklist and I was kind of proud of her, but I was also kind of like, it's your fault at the same time. <laughs> this is what she does for every blog post. She emails her readers twice in the first month. She puts it on Facebook on her page twice in the first month. She puts it on a Facebook group twice in the first month. She puts it on Twitter 15 times in the first month. Then it goes into a less frequent cycle. Then she puts it on Pinterest on her own boards, she's got several, and other people's boards where she's a group member. She puts it on a LinkedIn profile and a LinkedIn page and a LinkedIn group and Instagram as a photo, video and a story. And then she puts it on Snapchat, StumbleUpon, Google Plus on a profile and a page and then Reddit. And then she starts pitching other people to write more content for them that promotes her post. And her goal is to write two guest posts to promote her post on her blog for every post she writes. And then she pitches influencers on different social networks. She repurposes all of her posts into slide shares and then turns them into YouTubes. She creates Medium and LinkedIn posts, audio for SoundCloud, puts it on Facebook Live. And then she does visual graphic, graphics for all of these posts. And then um, she does a PDF version of her post, which she uses as an opt-in. And then she starts advertising it. She does over 50 pieces of content, some of the micro contents, but 50 for every post that she does. This is happening more and more. And many of you in the room, maybe, maybe you don't have quite as advanced a system as she does, but a lot of us do, if we think about it, the amount of time that we spend promoting our content. And this is happening more and more. And mainstream media are even better at doing it than we are. And this is contributing to the noise. And as a result of this massive challenge that's facing us at the moment, how do we stand out amidst this noise? We need to evolve our approach. We need to evolve. Creating great content and building your audience. This is ProBlogger. Another massive challenge for us at the moment is distribution. It used to be that someone would come to my blog and go, I want more of his content. I'm going to follow him on Facebook. And then they would see every post that I did. Or they would say, I want more of this, I'm going to follow him on, uh, I'm going to get his emails, I'm going to subscribe to his emails. Or I would subscribe to his RSS feed. It used to be very neat, like these yellow pipes. They want the content, they get the content. It's all changed. It's become a mess. It's become a mess. And this is, again, one of the big challenges facing us at the moment, is that people want our content, but they don't see our content for a variety of reasons. And uh, it because they're scattered in different places. It's because the algorithms are filtering our content on social networks, but also our emails now are being put in folders that people never open. Um, and we're seeing the rise in pay to play. We're seeing um, a lot of our audience now becoming blind to the te techniques that we use in marketing. Used to be they just didn't see the banner ads, but now I don't think they see our opt-ins as much. They don't see our emails as much because they're just, they don't want that. They're distracted a lot now, partly because of the, the noise as well. And so this is another challenge, and so we need to evolve. We need to evolve if we want our messages to be seen. Now, these are kind of negative things. The noise and the distribution challenges are negative, and I don't want to depress you too much. So there's also some positive reasons we need to evolve as well. And one of the positive reasons is that there's these incredible opportunities facing us at the moment. And the tools that are before us and the technologies that are opening up at the moment are amazing. 
It's like no other time in history. Um, uh, video, the, the demand in video, there's a real opportunity. The demand for live video and the tools that are at our fingertips that enable us to go live onto social, uh, social media. Um, I, I don't know if you listened to my podcast, but recently I talked about a tool called Ecamm Live. It's 30 US dollars and it puts a TV studio on your computer and it enables you to have multi-cameras and to do overlays and share your screen and do these amazing things and be live in front of people and interact with people. And the tools are, are quite amazing. There's an incredible opportunity. In Australia, over the last six or so months, I've seen a, this rise in interest in podcasting. I don't know if you've noticed it. My family and friends are now on podcasting, listening to podcasts like I've never seen before. Uh, Vanessa, uh, she, I reckon she, she consumes four or five hours of podcasts a day. She's just like constantly listening. And I'm seeing my, my family and friends doing this. It's really on the rise in Australia. It's an opportunity um, before us at the moment. We're seeing uh, the emergence of messaging bots. Um, which is uh, uh, something that I think is really uh, escalating at the moment. There's opportunities there. We're seeing the growth in Facebook groups. We're seeing um, the growth in all these tools that enable us to market in a more personal way as well. Uh, there's incredible opportunities. If only we are able to evolve fast enough to take them. Now, some of these opportunities come and go very quickly. Um, and so we need to be nimble. We need to be like the hare, being able to change directions while we also persist as well. So persist and evolve. This is how I reckon my... Um, I actually started to think this week about the evolution of my blogs. And this is the evolution of Digital Photography School, which is my main blog over the last... Um, since 2002. Um, and I did this because um, it's actually been a bit of a tough week um, for, for me and um, for our company as well, for my family. We had a death in the family this week. My father-in-law passed away yesterday, and so it's been a, a tough time on that front. But also it's been a tough time in our company because one of our key staff members, who many of you know, um, resigned uh, three weeks ago, Jasmine. Does anyone know Jasmine? Jasmine um, used to direct this event. And it was really sad to see her go, but also exciting to see her opportunities. And one of the things I started to do um, after she resigned was to um, think about the evolution since she joined my company. And I actually did a bit of a timeline on how she's been involved in changing our company. I wanted to show her um, what she's done for our company. And so this sort of started as that. Um, the last seven years was Jasmine coming on board. And then I went back earlier. And I want to show you this because it's been a constant evolution, the digital photography school. It really has. And it started even before digital photography school started. It started back in 2002 when I started um, blogging um, at all. And I just wanted to point out, um, to finish off my talk, some of the evolutions that have taken place in the last 15 years. And, and I've chosen things that I think are really relevant for bloggers of different stages uh, for you. So um, bear with me as I kind of reflect on the last 15 years. Um, it all, as I said, started in 2002 when I started blogging. And I'm not going to retell that story because I've told it many times before. But the one thing I do want to say is that I didn't procrastinate. This is one of the only times I didn't procrastinate. <laughs> in my life, pretty much, and in my business. I, um, someone shot, shot me a link to a blog, and within an hour or so of seeing what a blog was for the first time, I'd started my own. 
And I don't really know why I didn't procrastinate. I probably should have. I had a lot of reasons why I shouldn't have started a blog back then, but I didn't um, procrastinate. I started that blog. And I'm so glad that I started quickly because this is one of the biggest stumbling blocks that I see happening, is that people try to get their blog perfect before they launch it. And I'm, I'm so glad that I didn't. And I can see some of you are nodding to each other right now, and you can relate to this. Um, we, we get analysis paralysis. What I've learned about getting a perfect blog, and there's no such thing, but any, any kind of idea of a perfect blog comes through evolution. It comes through starting and realising it's not perfect and fixing the mistakes and then watching how people respond to that and then moving forward in that regard. So you need to start. You just need to start. If you're at that point where you've been procrastinating on starting a blog, please get it done. You're more than welcome to come to this event if you haven't started a blog. But if you come back next year and you haven't started, <laughs> I'm going to chase you down. So start. Um, so the next kind of um, most obvious thing from an external um, point of view about um, the evolution of digital photography school is that it's changed its design. And so I'll talk a little bit about that. This is the first design of digital photography school. This is the second time I tried to design a blog. Really not very good. Uh, actually, it was a free template. And this is what I started. And this is what many bloggers do. We start with the free templates. I'd been blogging for like four or five years by this point. I didn't really have any excuse to start with the free template, but I did. I'm um, tight. Um, and very quickly, I decided that I, once I got some runs on the board, once some readers started to show up, I decided I was going to change the design. And so then I moved to a premium template where I paid 40 bucks <laughs> for it. And then I paid someone um, $100 to design a logo. And so it was slightly more customised. And then I decided to um, bite the bullet and get someone to design a proper um, blog design for me. And we, we had sliders. Do you remember that time where sliders became the big thing? So they're still the big thing for some, some bloggers, but we added a slider in. And then uh, we went blue, we changed colours back to some of our roots, and um, we changed the slider a little bit more, and it became even more like a magazine, and this is our current design. And then we went for a responsive design, and this is something, I, if you haven't gone responsive, if you haven't designed for mobile, really encourage you to do that, because it really helped our, our blog a lot. And now we're working on our next design, and this is just a very early concept that we're working on for the next one. But this is something every two years now we're trying to um, redesign our blog just to bring freshness to it, but it's, a lot of it's really now about trying to keep up with the technologies. And uh, Google really are wanting you to be mobile responsive, and, and there's some really good reasons for, for a good blog design as well. So this is another area. Maybe you've come today and maybe it's time for your next blog design. There's people in this room who are really good on, the, on that. So ask questions around who, who designed your blog, what have you found worked well for you, look at each other's blog on mobile, show each other what's worked well. I really encourage you to evolve in this particular area. The thing that we've been doing more recently with our design is not just a complete redesign but an evolution. And we're trying to change bit by bit by bit and testing along the way. And I think that's a, a helpful way to go. Uh, the next area is the technology side. I'm not a very techno technological kind of person, but it's so important to evolve in the tools that you use and the technologies. And the first change for me really came in the early days where I moved from blogger to um, what I thought was going to be the next big thing in blogging, um, movable type. Um, it wasn't really the next big thing in blogging, so we eventually moved to WordPress. And the thing I'll say about this type of change is that I was absolutely petrified every time I made these changes. 
Am I going to lose my archives? Am I going to lose all my readers? Along with some of these changes, I'm, I changed domains as well um, to get off Blogger onto my own domain, onto my own servers. These type of things, many of us get petrified by these things. We're scared by these things. Um, but these are also some of the biggest times of growth for my blogs as well. Getting more control over what you can do on your blog is so important. So some of you are probably at that stage where you're thinking about, should I shift platform? Should I shift some of the tools that I'm using? We've been shifting other tools recently. We've just recently made a shift from using Aweber as an email tool, which has served us amazingly well over the last 10 or so years. But we've been uh, realising that there's some limitations in terms of how we can personalise our communications via email with our readers. And so we're, we're shifting across to a tool called Drip. There's plenty of other amazing tools as well that enable you to do more. And so maybe you're at a stage now where you need to change some of the tools that you use. Maybe it's your email tool. Maybe it's your landing pages. Maybe it's um, uh, your shopping carts and some of those types of things. We use shopping carts on our sites and we, for many years, used eJunkie, which is amazing. It's five bucks a month for a tool that puts a shopping cart on your site. And it's, it served us so well. But again, we've outgrown it and we've been use, using some of these other tools as well. Again, there's plenty of others out there. So just ask yourself again over the next day or so, are the tools that I'm using holding me back in some way? You could be leaving money on the table, particularly with something like a shopping cart, um, an email tool, you could be leaving a lot of money on the table if you're selling products and using tools that really aren't feature rich. There's so many amazing tools right now. These are just some of the tools that we've tried over the last 12 months, and it's just scratching the surface. This is one of the biggest evolutions that I've noticed in the blogging space at the moment, is that there's a whole industry around us now. 2002, you could start on Blogger, and that's about it. There was, there was really no tools. And there was a few scripts around that could enhance your tools, uh, your, your platform. But now we're, we're living in a time where it's just so amazing. The other thing I'll say about tools is you can waste a lot of money. Most of these tools have a monthly fee associated with them. And so maybe it's time that you cut back on some of your tools too. Um, you could be like me and be addicted to trying new things and then end up paying for that. One of the other bigger um, um, evolutions for me was back in 2004. Um, and some of the evolutions for me really, um, I think, were sparked by changing my mindset. And um, for some of you, I, I suspect this will be uh, relevant for you. you. You may not need to do anything differently. You need to start, may need to start thinking differently about your blog. For me, it was around the time I was starting to monetize my blog for the first time. And I started to think about maybe I could be a full-time blogger one day. I, I was earning a little bit of money here and there from my blog. I, I had AdSense on my blog by this point. I'll talk about that in a moment. And I think I was earning about $100 a week from my blog, which was pretty good. And I was very proud of myself. And I used to spreadsheet how you know last month it was $90 a week, and this month it's $100 a week and next month it might be 110. And I began to do these spreadsheets and charts about where things could go one day. And I realised that in about five years, maybe 10, I'd be a full-time blogger. And I was very excited about it, I was very proud about that, and I used to take the spreadsheets to Vanessa and say, look, love, $100 a week. <laughs> and it could one day be full-time. And she humoured me, and she, I mean, she was appreciative of that because we were on a tight budget at the time. She was a, a, um, a first-year lawyer on a, doing her articles, and, that was, and I was working part-time jobs. And so the $100 a week actually was making a difference. But after a few months of me 
trotting out my spreadsheets at the end of every month. Um, there was a particular day where she said to me, Darren, that's really great, but in 10 years' time, when you say you could be a full-time blogger, you will be 41. And most 41-year-olds have a full-time job. And maybe 10 years is too far away. Maybe we need to kind of speed this up because you could get a full-time job today if you wanted. <laughs> um, and, and it was kind of like, she put it very nicely and I was kind of like, okay. And uh, we, through uh, a variety of conversations, um, we decided that um, I needed to speed things up and we put a deadline of six months onto it. I needed to be a full-time blogger in six months. And that put a rocket under me. And I started, I realised I'd been treating my blog as a hobby that might one day be a business one day. And I decided that I needed to start treating it as a business today. If you want your blog to be a business one day, treat it as a business today. And this is the, the mind shift that I had to make. And that day was the day that things escalated. And this, this changed everything for me. It was the day I started to ring advertisers and say, do you want to advertise on my blog? I'd never done that before. It took me out of my comfort zone. And most of them said no, but one of them said yes, and he paid me $10 a month for that ad. And that wasn't much, but he paid me $10 a month for the next year, so it was 120 bucks. And then he started paying me $20 a month, and then he started paying me 30. And then I learned what I could, how I could serve him better, and I got started to get other advertisers who paid me 10 and then 20 and 30 a month. And that was a new income stream. And that was the day that I started to think about how am I going to get more traffic to my blog, and I started writing guest posts for other sites. That was the day I started to um, think about how am I going to get readers to come back to my blog who've already been there. And I started to uh, use email and, and try and work hard at getting more subscribers to my blog and started to design systems and autoresponder sequences to get them back on a regular basis to drive more traffic. That was the day I started to um, try new um, income streams, um, ad, ad, direct advertisers but also uh, other ad networks. Um, that was the day that changed everything, when I started to, to treat my blogs as a business today. So maybe you're at that point. Maybe you've got this nice little income stream but you've, and you've been dreaming of, of your blog being a full-time business one day. But maybe you need to start doing the things you know you need to do to get to that point. How to build and monetize your blog. This is ProBlogger. The next kind of thing I want to talk about is um, editorial. Editorial is really important. Um, as, as I showed you before, that first blog post was all text, and things have changed since that time. Um, and the most obvious thing I think that's changed in our content is we started to add visual content to our site. And there's a lot of other things you can do to evolve your editorial strategy as well. Maybe it's the mediums you're using. Maybe you've been doing written content. Maybe you need to start adding some visual. Maybe you need to start doing some video. Maybe you need to start doing some live. Maybe you need to start doing some podcasting. There's all these different mediums out there. And I actually think they're all blogging. Essentially, podcast is a blog. It's content arranged in a chronological order. It doesn't have comments. That's probably the only thing that's a bit different. YouTubing, video, it, it can all be blogging. And we need to think about blogging in a new way. Blogging is not just written content. It's, it's so much more than that. And this is one way that we can evolve our content. Maybe it's the frequency of your content. And when I started digital photography school, I was doing three posts a week. And I realised that one way that I could get more traffic was to increase the frequency of my posts. And so I went to five days a week. And then uh, about six months later, I went to daily content. And now we're doing 14 posts a week. Now, that's probably beyond what most bloggers can do. We've got a team now that's evolved along the way. 
but that maybe that's a one way that you can evolve your editorial strategy. Maybe it's the type of content you create. When I started digital photography school, all of our posts were tutorials. It was all information. And then I started to add in some inspirational posts. So I started to tell stories. I started to do image collections. I started to um, get people more in touch with their heart and their love of photography. And so I added in one post a week that's more inspiration content. And then I started to add in more interaction content. So we started to do weekly challenges. Got our readers to take photos and then share their photos with us. So information, inspiration, interaction became the kind of the evolution in our content. We still do a lot of information, but we found that once we started to inspire people, they started to want the information more. They had a reason to read the information. Then we started to get them to interact with our content. They actually started to apply the information that they were learning. So they, uh, now we have this flow in our week where we give them a tutorial, then we inspire them and we show them some photos that they could take with that tutorial, and then we get them to go away and take photos um, that, that use that information. And so they really go back to the information, they get inspired, but then they, they start to learn. And so this has been an evolution in our content. Maybe you need to think about has all your content been the one kind of content? Maybe there's something else that you need to add in. Maybe you've been telling a lot of stories but you need to start teaching something. Or maybe you need to do, be, do some posts in your, your editorial strategy that are more interactive in some way. Maybe it's the level of your content. Uh, digital Photography School was purely beginner content when I started. Now it's more intermediate. Um, our, our, the site has grown up with our readers. Maybe you need to um, start writing different types of content. Maybe you're writing lots of evergreen content, content that doesn't date. Um, we were doing that for a long time. Then we started doing a, a bit more news content. We started to review cameras. And this is more timely content. It doesn't last as long, but it's a different type of content that served our readers in a different way. Or maybe it's a new category on your site. Digital Photography School, we added, uh, after about two years, we added a post-production section. It was how to, how to edit your photos. And then we added a gear review section. So these different categories expanded the site um, uh, as we went along. So maybe you need to evolve your content in some way. This is one of those pillars, persist with it, but it doesn't mean you have to do it the same way over and over. Our community is another one of the pillars that you can evolve um, very quickly. Our community on Digital Photography School started with blog comments. Um, that's when people used to leave comments on blogs. Do you remember those days, um, old-time bloggers? People used to leave comments. Um, and it used to be quite a few people. Um, this post had 67 people leave, leave a comment. Things have changed a bit. People are now engaging in different spaces, so we, maybe we need to evolve in that. We started a Flickr group. That was one of the early new ways of uh, evolving our, our community um, in terms of engagement. Probably not relevant for most blogs today um, because you don't have a photography reading community, but maybe there's another um, place where you can set up a group, another social network. Um, we did a forum for a time that worked very well for us. We then started to use different types of social media to engage. We ran Twitter chats for a little while. Um, then we started a Facebook page, which used to work <laughs> pretty well. And then more recently, Facebook groups. And Facebook groups are where we see most of our engagement at the moment. Um, and it's where a lot of um, successful um, full-time bloggers that I see are really doing very well with Facebook groups at the moment. I don't know how long that'll last. I don't know how long Facebook will continue to promote groups. And we're already starting to see some changes in that. But Facebook are already signaling that community and groups is, is an area where they want to see a lot more growth at the moment. So maybe you need to evolve in your community. 
Maybe it's in your traffic. And there's a variety of different ways that you can evolve in this particular area as well. We've got a session on this later today. Um, maybe you need to be starting to create a bit more guest content. Maybe you need to um, think about search engine optimization, learn some skills, look at the latest trends in that. Maybe you need to engage in a new social network. Maybe you need to start networking more with other bloggers in your niche. For me, this is one of the key things that you can do to drive more traffic, is to actually um, learn um, about who else is in your niche and to to reach out to them and to look at win-win collaborations between them. Uh, this has probably been one of the areas that we've seen the most growth in our own blogging in, in, within our niches. Actually getting to know your competitors and become front friends with your competitors is one of the fastest ways that you can grow your blog if you can find some win-win ways. A variety of things that you can do there for traffic. And then there's monetization. And I know a lot of you are here at this conference to learn more about how to monetize your blog. And this, for us, has been an incredible evolution. For me, it started with AdSense and Amazon. The very awkward starts and very slow starts. This is our first month of AdSense earnings. And this is after I'd been blogging for two years. I already had a really good audience by this stage. First day, we made $12 Australian, and I was so excited. I'm like, $12 a day is amazing. And then I realised all my friends were clicking my ads like crazy to make us that, and that could have got us kicked out of AdSense. And then I went back after a day or two, and I told them to stop, to about a dollar a day, dollar fifty a day. It wasn't even enough to buy a coffee. And this is after years of building my audience. So it was really, really, really very slow, depressingly slow. But it was something. And uh, I was proud of those dollars a day in those early days, even though it wasn't that much. And then gradually over time it grew. And you can see here for the first six or months, it was a dollar a day. It really didn't change. And this is around the time that I started to have this mindset shift. And I started to realise that if I was going to grow this income, I needed to get smart about driving more traffic and getting better at using AdSense. Um, and this is the same for any income stream that you might want to add. And then things escalated. August 2004, we started an Olympic Games blog. That was the Athens Olympics. It was a very profitable month. And then it kind of went back down again. And, uh, but this is about driving traffic. This is about driving more engagement, getting more email subscribers, and getting better at using AdSense. And it continued to grow. And this is the first two years. And the, the reason I want to show you this one is that it all fell apart for a little while here. And sometimes, Evolutions don't work, and, and unexpected things happen. We fell out of Google completely for six weeks there, and we still, to this day, don't really know why. But sometimes it starts really slow, and, and a lot of you are probably at this phase with your income streams. Don't give up. Persist. Keep learning how to do that income stream better, because you don't know where it's going to end up. For us, the evolution has been going through different types of income streams. Um, we've looked at direct ad sales, affiliate promotions, other advertising networks. Um, I wrote a book. Most of these ones here didn't really work that well. The book didn't make much money. Speaking didn't make much money. Consulting didn't make much money. Job board was another real slow burner. It's actually grown for us. And then everything changed in 2009 when I discovered ebooks. This is our first ebook. Some of you have heard me talk about it before. I procrastinated on writing this ebook for three years. I started digital photography school with the view that I would write an ebook in 2006, and I didn't write it until 2009. I was too busy. I didn't know how to write an ebook. I didn't know how to sell an ebook. I didn't. I was scared. That was my real reason. And in 2009, I took my own 15 minutes a day challenge, and I wrote my ebook 15 minutes at a time. 
Got up early every morning and I wrote it. Took me four months to write it, to get it ready for launch, to write the sales page, to get the emails ready to launch the thing. And at 11 o'clock one night in 2009, I sent the email, petrified about how my readers would respond to this ebook, me trying to sell them something. Most of the content in the ebook was already on the blog. I was scared that they were going to really push back hard. And nothing at all happened for 10 minutes after I sent that email. <laughs> and then I got a sale. And that four months of work made me $14.99 US. So it was about $18. And it really wasn't worth it at that moment. $18 for four months of work. And then nine minutes later, another sale came in and it became a little bit more worth it. And then the sales started coming in every eight minutes and every seven minutes, every six minutes. And by this stage, it was like 1am and I was like <sighs> calculating how much I was making. And then they started coming every two minutes and then every minute and then every 30 seconds. And everything changed, and I was so excited. But I wished I'd done it three years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and this is often happens what happens, uh, what happens when you procrastinate. But this changed everything, and this was the beginning of a whole new income stream for the blog. And this is all part of this evolution. Uh, that launch did really well. We sold about 5,000 copies of that over the, the first week or so of that launch. Um, but more important for me is that it actually um, was the start of another revolution, and now we have lots of ebooks. And over the last eight years, we've published a lot of ebooks, 30 or so of them. And some of them have done better than that one, and some of them have done a lot worse. But every time we launch one, we learn something about how our readers um, uh, react to these products and how to market them better in different ways. And then it's um, led us, part of the evolution is to do courses. Um, we've done six courses now and we've done some so software as well and this is all part of um, that evolution. So monetization is something you, you've got to persist, you've got to be proactive, you can't be passive. You need to put the work in and it's, it, it does take a lot of work but evolve. The other part of our evolution with products and monetization is this is how I launched that first ebook. So that first ebook, all I did to launch it was send two emails and write one blog post and do three tweets. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but it worked really well and I'm glad it did. Um, we've evolved our launches slightly. Um, now this is kind of what we would do. We don't do all of this for every launch, but there's a lot of evolution in our launches. We do pre-launch stuff, we do a variety of types of blog posts during a launch, we send multiple emails over a launch and they've all got a different kind of type of email. We do testimonial emails. Um, we do occasionally have done webinars, um, we've done a variety of different social media things and we do now stuff on our site as well. We, you'll get all of these slides so you can have a really deep look at this later if you'd like. Um, so again, evolve, not just your income streams, but how you use those income streams as well. I will say with every evolution that I've showed you, every single one of them has been accompanied by fear. And that's a good sign. Fear is a signal that something important is about to happen. No important moment in your life has happened without fear. Um, but also comes with excitement. So use the excitement. Don't let the fear stop you. Um, and learn as you evolve as well. All the evolutions bring about learning for the next evolution. The thing I'll say about um, what I've shown you, that timeline I showed you, that was just the good stuff. 
All of those things were good things. There's been a lot of really bad things along the way as well. And a lot of the, try, the things that I've tried over the years have not worked. Um, I started two blog networks. You would have thought that after the first lesson that I wouldn't have started the second one. Both of them really didn't do very well, but I learnt so much during those. I've started other blogs that haven't worked for different reasons. Is anyone, was anyone on Plurk? Anyone know what Plurk is? You would have thought that from a logo like that, <laughs> that I would have known that that was not a good social network to get on. <laughs> I invested hundreds of hours on Plurk. It was just after Twitter came about. It was this new thing that was going to change everything and everyone was going to be on Plurk. Turns out no one was on Plurk, just me. Um, I started a ProBlogger community and it was, it was an income stream and this is a public kind of failure. It was something that kind of worked that didn't really work to my satisfaction and we had, to, we had to stop it. So there's been all these false starts, there's been these failures, but you know, every time I, I failed, I learned something. And all of these things have informed where we're at today as well. So you will have these failures. I don't want to just paint a picture of just try new things, they'll all work. A lot of them won't. But they can be as important parts of your evolution as everything else. Some of them will grow fast, some of them will grow slow. These are my two blogs, Pro Blogger and Digital Photography School. I should have given up on, pro, on digital photography school about here. It was just too slow. It wasn't growing very fast at all. But today, if that graph continued, it would be 10 times bigger than ProBlogger. I'm really glad I stuck at it. And a lot of those income streams, AdSense, was really slow. I probably should have given up on it in the early days. But I'm glad I persisted with it. And you will have those times where things really don't look like they're working. Sometimes you just need to persist, evolve but they'll have other things that will work really well and they'll be overnight successes. So just go with the flow, learn as you, as you go through these things. The last thing I wanna say is that it's really important to evolve, but a lot of us, and we all know that, but a lot of us also know that feeling of revolving, going in circles. And this is where most of us get stuck. And there's a variety of reasons why we get stuck. I love this bottom gif, I have to, had to include it. Just watch, watch, watch. Oh, sorry, uh, no child was hurt during this gift. Uh, anyway, I don't really know if they were hurt. But you know, they, anyway, I'll go past that because you won't um, take anything. But there's a variety of reasons why we revolve. And I just want to say, uh, go through these because I know a lot of you are at these stages and procrastination is the big one. It's been my big one. I've procrastinated so much. I did a podcast on procrastination this year. If you, want to, if you, if you are a procrastinator, go and listen to that podcast. Don't procrastinate. It'll never be perfect before you start it. Analysis paralysis is the other one. Again, it'll never be perfect before you start, so just start anyway. Um, the other big one that's been a big one for me is fear. Um, you've got to step forward into your fear. You've got to um, acknowledge it, but don't let it stop you. And uh, if you need to hold a hand of someone else, there's plenty of people in the room who will go into that fear with you. Um, uh, wobbly courage is the thing that we've talked about at this event in the past. You don't have to be brave and get rid of fear. You need to step forward knowing you're fearful. Wobbly courage is so important. Sometimes we revolve because we've built a machine that we have to keep feeding. And I've talked to a number of you in this room over the last year. You've built this thing that's working but you absolutely hate it, but it's paying your mortgage. And so you have to keep feeding it. And that's a horrible place to be stuck. Maybe you need to start a passion project on the side and evolve that. Maybe you need to try and find a way to evolve what you're doing into the thing that you do love. Maybe it's time to sell that thing and start something new. These are one of, this is one of the reasons, and, and I felt this, and I'm more than happy to talk to you if you're in that place as well. 
Um, there's other reasons why we get re we revolve. It's because we we built a system and we just get lazy and we just keep doing it. And this is something that I've done this year. I've realised that I've been doing the same thing on Facebook, my Facebook page for three years now, and it really worked well three years ago. And it doesn't work well anymore. And I've just built this system. And so earlier this year, I decided to do some more learning on Facebook and I did a course. And I've learned some new skills and I'm trying some new things. So look at those systems that you've built that used to work well and be really um, uh, smart about evolving those systems. And the last one is it's very easy to revolve and do things because everyone else is doing them. And, and in the blogging space, this is just, it's, most of us have done it. We all jump onto Snapchat because everyone's on Snapchat, but why are we on Snapchat? Are our readers on Snapchat? Is it working? Maybe Snapchat's good for your audience, but we don't need to do that because everyone else is doing it. Be, be harsh on the way that you spend your time. Ask, is this relevant for my audience? Is this relevant for me and my personality? Rather than just getting stuck in doing what everyone else is doing. So this event, I encourage you to persist. I encourage you to look for the next steps and how you evolve. I encourage you to write down as you hear today, write down the things that resonate with you, write down the possible actions that you can take. And then at the end of the day, I encourage you to look at those things that you've written down, look for the patterns in those things and then prioritise what you're going to do. Uh, it's really important. My hope is that uh, as a result of today, you're going to get the, your next steps, that you're going to get some ways that you can evolve your blog. So what I want you to do is to just take a moment now and write down on your action list, whatever, however you want to do that. I want you to think about your weakest pillar, content, engagement, traffic, monetization. Which of those have you been ignoring? Which one do you maybe need to evolve? Um, and uh, anything else that you've heard that you um, need to apply in your own blog, blog. Just take a moment to do that. And then just turn to someone next to you and if you want to just share something um, from that session that you want to apply or a question that you've got that you want to ask um, or um, an action item that you've written down, you, just for a moment, just share that with each other. It's really important to verbalise the things that we're learning. So just want for one moment. You're listening to Pro Blogger. Okay. We're going to keep things moving, try and stay on, on schedule today. So we've got another half an hour session now and then we're going to have a morning tea break. One of the things as I was thinking about evolution, um, as, I, as I prepared that um, sort of talk, I realised that there's some amazing stories in this room of, of evolution. And I, as I was talking, I was looking at different people and thinking, man, your blog has really changed. You know, um, uh, some of the, the stories in this room are really great. And one of the stories that came to mind was Pat, um, as someone that I came across, I reckon, back in 2009, 2010, we must have connected for the first time. And... Um, we did an interview. I interviewed Pat on, it wasn't even a podcast, it was just, I interviewed him. I don't even know why I interviewed you at the time. It was an audio interview and it still exists, it's still there. And we have both changed so much. That interview was kind of bizarre. I listened to it recently and uh, it was very, we were both very naive and fresh and excited. Not that we're not excited anymore, but things have changed a lot there. And, and as I think back to 2009, your blog, Pat, um, I just thought it'd be really interesting to have a, a bit of a conversation now. Uh, and so we want this session to be um, a, ch a chance for you to hear a little bit about Pat's evolution, but also I really want about 15 minutes of Q&A. So if you've got any question for Pat 
uh, or myself, but mainly Pat. Um, I will signal that in about 10 minutes time and we're gonna use two microphones here. We just ask you to come up and, um, and speak your question into the microphone um, because um, the recordings for this event are going to be available to you. You're also gonna get the recordings for the Melbourne event that happens next week. So when we evolve our presentations and make them better for the Melbourne people, <laughs> you, you can actually... <laughs> You can actually listen in on that event as well. So um, we do ask you to use the microphones. But I just thought it'd be interesting, Pat. Welcome, Pat, everyone. Um, if... Thank you. Uh, and Pat's going to deliver a great uh, closing keynote later today. But Pat, um, you have evolved what you've done incredibly. Do you want to take us back maybe to the early days and just maybe name a couple of the early evolutions that were really important for you in your, your journey? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me here. Um, I know I'm the one with a funny accent in this room. So, uh, you know, it's funny because I remember one time watching you, you were doing a live stream before live streams were even a thing. And I remember Darren was up there and I was just like so dumbfounded. I, like you were my idol back in the day. And then uh, you were like, oh, I'll take any questions. And I typed in a question and Darren said, oh, Pat. And I flipped out. <laughs> I couldn't believe that you had said my name. And to be here on stage today uh, as sort of now somebody providing information to your students is just fantastic. So thank you for that. Now, I've had a really interesting evolution. As many of you know, if you know my story, I got laid off from the architecture industry. I never planned on any of this. And back in 2008, when I was told I was going to be let go, which was two months after I had proposed to my wife, uh, I just flipped out. I didn't know what I was going to do. And it was actually through a podcast. That was the early days of podcasts. Uh, I discovered one called the Internet Business Mastery. And I heard an interview with a man named Cornelius, uh, who was making six figures a year, helping people pass the project management exam. And that was my sort of aha light bulb moment, where then I was like, hey, I've taken some exams in the architecture industry. Maybe I could be like this guy. I don't even know what to do. I'm just going to start a blog and see what happens. So that's what I did. And then one thing that happened was I started to question what I was doing. And I started to question, why am I doing this? Is this even worth it? Uh, and then I went through the process of writing an ebook as well and flipping out the time I posted it, seeing nothing happen, realizing that maybe I shouldn't even be going down this road to begin with. And then at 8.40 a.m. the next morning, I saw a PayPal notification come in. And for me, it was the highlight of my life at that time. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that I had done something and posted it on the internet and then somebody paid me for it. But 10 seconds after that sale and that joy, I started to think, this is like I started to freak out and get scared. What if this person like sues me for some reason or you know, asks for a refund? And so I had to go outside on a walk because I just was hyperventilating. And then I came back and I saw another email from another sale. I had made a sale while I was on a walk and that just completely changed my life. But not only that, um, I started to get these emails from my customers saying thank you. And they were calling me by name. Thank you, Pat. Pat, thank you so much for putting this together. And that was new to me and something I never thought was possible because in the architecture world, I actually have my fingerprint on several different restaurants in the US, but nobody would ever know that. And nobody had ever thanked me for any work that I had done as an architect, but here I was helping people in this tiny little exam space, and people were saying thank you and writing me essays worth of their life story. Mm. I was only helping them pass an exam. But then I went through a, a, a time in 2009 when the United States Green Building Council, who is the uh, organization that puts on this exam, they came out with their own study guide. 
and I thought I was done. Why would people want to buy my study guide when they could get the study guide from the people who actually write the same questions? And I was like, okay, well, I should start looking for another architecture job soon. That was my highest grossing month ever. And the reason was because people found that there were these guides and found mine and said, ooh, I like, I like yours because I can relate to you. Because I know you are somebody who is just a few steps ahead of me. And that was the big first moment of, wow, this is what really works online is being yourself and putting yourself out there that nobody is like you. And therefore, that is your advantage. And I remember in 2010, I went to one of my mentors and I came, I came to him with like 20 different business ideas. And he said, you know, these are, these are okay, but you know what's missing out of all of them? You. You're not in any of these. This is a review site for this. This is a tool to help people do that, but you are not in any of this. And so that was the time when I started my podcast to, to open up and let people into my life just a little bit to get to know who I was as a person. And as a result of that, people became very attached to, to me and my message and what I was doing. And there were other times when I wanted to give up. Uh, there was a time in 2012 when I just wanted to completely shut down the podcast because I started to see the numbers were exactly the same. I wasn't getting any results. And then one day, right before I was going to give up, I get this email from a guy. His name is Michal from Poland. And it's literally like seven pages in length, this email, so I'm not going to read it. But the subject line says, you changed my life, please read this. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll read it. So as I was reading this, he was telling me the story how he discovered my blog and he discovered my podcast and this was at a time when he had two broken legs after the result of a snowboarding accident and that I was coaching him through his rehabilitation. And this was going on for a year and a half without me knowing it and he said that he had set a goal for himself. One thing that I talked about in one of my blog posts was setting goals that are almost impossible for yourself. And so he decided with two broken legs to run a marathon. And I saw a picture at the bottom of this email of him crossing the finish line of the Warsaw uh, full marathon, 22.6 miles, holding up a banner. And it was in Polish, so I didn't know what it said until he translated it. And he said, thank you, God. Thank you to his family. And thank you, Pat Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just bawling. At the time I was reading this, like there was mascara running down like on my keyboard. <laughs> It just was not a pretty picture. But it, that was the point I realized that there are so many people out there who we don't even know we are affecting. And that made me want to keep going. There might be a Michal for you out there who's reading your stuff and you don't even know their name. And it wasn't until he said, this is what you did for me, that I didn't, re that I didn't realize that. Um, and, th and then there have been moments like going across different kinds of platforms. Like I started out in a blog in 2008 and then I explored YouTube in 2009 and then podcasting in 2010. Um, but then the big one was getting on stage. I had never ever wanted to get on stage before because I just had that fear. But I had learned through going onto YouTube and going into podcasting that that fear is what you should actually look toward and step through like you were saying. Stephen Pressfield who wrote The War of Art calls that the resistance, that thing that you feel it could be in many forms, procrastination, self-doubt, fear. That's actually, like Darren was saying, a sign that that's the thing that's important to you, that there's always something amazing on the other end of that. Um, and then I've grown so much in terms of just the confidence that I've had. Uh, only recently have I now adopted sort of what I call the CEO mindset, because in the beginning I was just kind of a scrappy, scrappy entrepreneur, right? Like kind of just putting things together as they come, which then, 
in blog form turns into just this mess of a blog with just all these plugins and things on it. And it wasn't until I made the decision to really get smart and plan ahead in my editorial calendar and with what I was promoting that things started to finally fall into place. Uh, and I've now since released courses of my own, which was just a huge step for me, getting over the idea of actually selling something to my audience that was my own. I was always doing affiliate marketing. But I think out of all the evolutions, the biggest one came in 2009 when my son was born. There's this thing called like the baby effect. And that is like when you have a baby, nothing is more important in your life except that little creature. And that forces you to really understand where is your time being placed? And are you getting back what you put in with that time? Because I felt like every time I would catch myself in a YouTube rabbit hole, you know, in the weird part of the internet, that I was taking time away from my family, from my kids. And so I became super efficient at that point, keeping track of every minute and what I was doing and was it actually something that was helping me move the needle or was it actually something that was just trying to keep me staying busy, just to have that feeling like I was staying busy. So that baby effect helped me become super efficient and helped me understand what my output was versus the input. Uh, and that's when things started to accelerate a lot too. And also prioritizing, helping me realize that I don't have to do everything. That every time I say yes to something, I'm also saying no to something else. Does that make sense? When you say yes to something, you're also saying no to something else. And I always thought about my kids. When I say yes to something, what am I taking away from them? Is this worth actually doing that? Yeah. And as you begin to grow, you, get, you start to get more opportunities. And a lot of those opportunities are going to be very juicy and just attractive. Mm -hmm. But knowing where it is you want to go and knowing what's important to you is going to help you make those decisions a lot easier. Wow. You make interviewing really easy. <laughs> That's great. Do you have any questions for Pat that you want to ask? Um, might be about the evolution. Come up to microphones if you do um, and uh, maybe just say what your name is and um, ask you a question, but there's just a microphone here. If you want to line up, I'm more than happy to just go straight to you now. Um, so, yeah. Pat, my name's Adele. Um, firstly, you're the reason I came because I saw you last year at XY and I was very excited um, and I obviously love your podcast. Um, the question that I have, so I've been a traditional financial planner where I've worked with people one-on-one, -on -one, just about to launch my first one-to-many model. The question that I'm struggling with is how to price it. Um, now, the financial, it's a membership style site, so it's a weekly fee. Um, the financial planner in me has done 50 models, the dropout rate's going to be 30%, and if my marketing costs are this, so I've, I've done all the modelling, but I'm still struggling with how to price it. Do I price, price it high and then drop? Do I do drop and then increase? How do you price it? Well, pricing is a huge topic for sure, but there's a number of different ways to go about understanding what your price is. I mean, you could compare versus what other options are out there and use that as a starting point. Are you offering more value than what's already being offered, therefore you should be charging more? Um, additionally, in, a, in addition to that, you should also understand what it is that you're providing and what can that give back to them in the long run to make sense as an investment to be working with you. And then what I would also recommend is, you know, when you launch something, launch with a beta group. And then that way you can start at a very low price to get people in and understand, okay, what is working, what's not. And you can even utilize that feedback to understand, okay, well, what is the true value of what I'm offering to then base your price point out of. And then of course, according, uh, based on that, you're going to have testimonials that you can use for your public launch. Um, and that's typically the way that I would recommend launching anything is kind of in a controlled environment uh, to be able to then utilize that data moving forward into a public launch. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Um, and just a quick follow-up. With the membership site, then what's the sort of drop-off rate that you expect? If people are paying a monthly whatever subscription, is there a typical drop-off? 
Yeah, typical drop-off rate, I believe, I mean, it depends on the industry, but three months to six months is the normal drop-off rate. And there's some strategies involved with that. For example, right before the three-month mark, send like your juiciest, best tip and email to help people realize, oh, I should stick around when the next billing cycle comes, right? So know when that drop-off rate isn't gonna happen, and that's only gonna come over time. Um, but then you can put strategies into place to make sure people remember why they should continue to pay. That's the thing with a membership model that's tough, is that you're continually asking people to pay. And you need to remind them and let them know why they need to continue to pay. Um, it's, it's not like a, a Netflix account where sometimes you just forget. People will know that they're paying for that and they want to make sure they're getting something back for it. Okay, cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Thanks. Hi, Pat. Um, I'm a... Uh, current member of your uh, Smart From Scratch thank you. course. Thank you. Awesome. And uh, so thank you for putting that up. And it's a theme, my question's a theme related to that. Uh, starting from scratch, people who are getting into this for the first time, what, are the, what do you find are the common struggles and, and what are your advice, what's your advice for that? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of struggles in the beginning of anything that we do. It's just how do we know what the next steps are? How do we know that we're right for this? As I like to say, every master starts as a disaster. And you're going to have to get through that crazy disaster part in order to get and grow. Um, but what I feel is great and the best tips I can offer is to, A, get inspiration from somebody who's done it already. And you are probably in the right place if you are doing that right now because Darren is an, an amazing mentor to have. Uh, for all of us. Um, in addition to that, things like mastermind groups, getting together to have people hold you accountable as well, and just to kind of be that outside perspective looking in, because sometimes we can be so deep into our own stuff that we don't see the obvious, right? And sometimes we need another person just to kind of help put things back into perspective uh, for us. And that's why things like communities, and whether it's a paid community or a free community or a group, and getting involved with people there, and I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here because you're coming to events. This is the perfect place to connect and meet people that you can, I hope that you like go home and continue these relationships that you're about to build uh, over this weekend. I mean, that by far is the most important thing. Um, and then also just realizing that failure is a part of the process. It is the learning experience. It's not uh, like, I remember, like I grew up in a house where I would come home uh, with a math test and I get a 96% on it. And then my dad will go, well, what happened to the other 4%, Pat? And I was growing up with this idea that you had to be perfect all the time. But in business, if you try to be perfect, you're never going to take any action. And you're never going to be bold enough to take the action that you need that's actually going to give you the results. So understanding that with a little bit of guidance, you have to move forward, take bold actions, realizing that it could totally fail. And that's good. You want to fail fast, almost, so you can get to those learning points much faster. Thanks, Pat. Thank you. Um, thanks, Darren, for bringing out such great speakers. Um, I'm, just to ask my imperfect question, um, if you had no interest in branding yourself, none whatsoever, um, but um, if, uh, I have um, several sites, different niches, um, that I'm a man, a man in many of them, <laughs> um, but you want that authenticity that you just spoke about, um, how important it is um, you're your best asset, as you said, so to give of yourself. How do you do that as an, an avatar, or how do you give of your best, but you don't want to brand yourself out there for various reasons? Yeah, I mean, there's many reasons to not necessarily put yourself out there so much. I mean, um, 
it can still be done. I think it, it relates to the content and the interactions that you have with your audience. You can still be personable without sharing your name. I know a number of avatars who have become very successful online uh, in, in di many different uh, niches because, I mean, some of them because they just don't want to get known uh, in that particular industry because then if their boss knew, they would get fired most likely. Um, but then other times they're just not comfortable with having other people know their name. So the way that you become personable is you ask questions. You have to, I think it was James actually, uh, Shramko who's going to be speaking later, he, he, this quote that I just love that he told me once was, you got to stop trying to be so uh, interesting and start getting interested. And that has changed uh, like how I've kind of communicated with my audience. Like not me, 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 me. It's more, hey, how can I help you? What are the problems that you're having? What are the struggles that you're having? And it doesn't matter who you are. If you are somebody who is asking somebody, what can I do for you? That's personable. That's memorable. And it doesn't matter what your name is. You can still do that. Thank you. Thanks. Yep. This is very tall. Hi. Um, can you put this down at all? Or just... You're good. Okay, I'll just you. stand on tiptoes. Um, <laughs> hey, I've been blogging for about five years now, and I feel like all my raving fans um, are already like buying my product and service and engaged in my stuff. Um, but I've felt like for about a year now, I'm really struggling to expand that. Like I've kind of plateaued with growth. So I'm wondering if there are any tips to increasing your engagement and network and traffic and how to, I don't know, get other people kind of reading and engaging with what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, this is actually what I spoke about in 2014 at ProBlogger in the Gold Coast was just this idea of building more raving fans. And I love that you're focused on building that because that's really where the power is in your brand. When you think about who your customers are going to be, where the most interaction engagement comes from, it's not all the brand new cold traffic that you try and bring in. It's the people who've been a part of your brand for a while who just absolutely love what you do. Uh, now, there's many different ways to go about getting people from the bottom of that pyramid up to the top where raving fans are. Um, one of my favorite strategies is providing small wins. And, you know, I used to think that every single blog post had to be like a revolutionary, huge deal, something that would just get monstrous reviews and shared all over the world. And that actually stopped me from writing a lot because I thought everything had to be that big. But actually, it's the smaller, here's something you can do in five minutes that can be really helpful kind of articles that actually made the biggest difference. I actually remember one of the first uh, blogs besides yours, Darren, that I read was by a man named Ramit Sethi, uh, who has a blog called IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com, not rich like money, but just rich in life and uh, fulfillment. And I remember coming across his blog when I read it on and off, and there was one article that said, here's how you can save 20% on your cable bill in 15 minutes. And I said, really, can you do that? And I read the post, and he gives you the script that you use when you call your cable company to save 20%. And I said, okay, what have I got to lose? This will either work or not. I'll find out in 15 minutes. I did it. It worked. And I became a fan of Ramit's for life because that small little thing worked and I saw it and I wanted more from him. So what small things can you offer, maybe even challenges and things like that to your sort of non-raving fan audience to help them realize that you are somebody worth paying attention to and becoming a raving fan of. And then the other important component to kind of lead people up to that point would be getting people involved in a community and having them not just engage with you, but engage with each other as well. Like it reminds me of when uh, my wife, uh, she, who's a huge fan of the Backstreet Boys, she literally just came from Vegas to watch them. Nick Carter is like her second husband apparently, but... Um, she had mentioned that when she was there, she met a bunch of people who she'd never met before, but they immediately had their stories and their history with the Backstreet Boys to connect with each other. 
and that helped just elevate the boys, or her boys, as she calls them, uh, <laughs> even more. So are you giving your audience an opportunity to meet and chat and talk with each other? That can help elevate your brand as well. Cool. Thank Thanks. you. We'll do these last two nice and quick if we can, and then we'll have some morning tea. Yeah. Hi, my name's Marie. I follow both of you, and I attribute a lot of our success to you, so thank you very much. Thanks, Laurie. Um, just a question about Facebook. So I currently have a Facebook business page, and we've got a very niche audience of dietitians. So we've got most of the dietitians in Australia on our Facebook business page, but wondering about Facebook groups, and it, would it be worth transitioning them to a group or just keep them on the business page? If you want community and engagement, a group is, uh, is where you want people to go. What I would recommend doing actually would be to potentially serve ads to your Facebook page, since you've worked so hard to collect those people in this context, to get them on your email list. And that way then you can kind of essentially do whatever you want with them. And I think a group is, is where you want to bring people to go to, uh, to get into communities. However, I also know that Facebook is making changes too. And uh, I heard through the grapevine that they're going to essentially somehow begin to start creating algorithms within the groups. Um, potentially even paying to serve ads to groups. It's just not really what I want to hear, but we really have no control over that, uh, and we can only go with what we have access to at the time. But a group I still feel has been just amazing, because I have a page as well with 180,000 contacts and a group of only 30,000, uh, so relatively speaking, much smaller, but there's so much more activity there. And it's an amazing place, too, where your audience can help your audience. So I go in there and questions are being answered without even me having to answer them. So it's a great place for networking and connection. And similar to the previous question, it's a great place where you, your community can talk with each other, each other, and that helps elevate your brand too. Thank you. You're welcome. Last one. Hey, so a quick question. Um, I remember recently that someone mentioned that course you launched. Um, it was either last year or earlier this year. I saw on social media someone kind of ripped into you a bit. Um, about the course, um, calling you like scum or something, and instead of ignoring it or defending yourself, you actually offered him the course for free. So I'm wondering, one, what the result of that was. I'm, I presume he didn't take it up, um, but what your thinking behind that was in replying that way. Yeah, you know, one thing that I've learned over time is that uh, there's going to be haters, and haters are going to hate, right? Um, and initially, like back in 2009 and 2010, uh, it really used to frazzle me. Like I would stop working for m weeks because I was just so distraught over that one, what one, one person said. Um, actually, there was, a, there was another time back in 2011, I think, where a person left this like two or 3,000 word comment on my blog. It's really nasty. And of course, I just kind of deleted it. But then all of my friends started emailing me saying, hey, who's this guy who just left a comment on my blog? He had copied and pasted that same comment and posted it on every site that I was featured on. And I like, stopped working for a month because I was just like, oh, this is, I can't do this anymore. Like, how crazy? And like, maybe, I, maybe he's right, right? Maybe he's right. Uh, and then I talked to a lot of my friends in my mastermind groups. And first of all, they were like, dude, Haters, it's a good sign. It means you're doing something right. I'm like, it doesn't feel like I'm doing something right right now. <laughs> but then it was another person who said, Pat, you know, every second you spend thinking about this person is a second you're taking away from the hundreds and thousands of people who need you. Stop. Stop. So I stopped. And actually, I just was very curious, so I emailed him and I said, hey, I can't believe you did what you did, but I forgive you. I'm trying to come from a place of forgiving. Why did you do what you do? 
And I wasn't expecting a response, but he did respond, and he said, Pat, I knew you were a very popular blogger, and you just seemed like an easy target, and I just wanted traffic to my website. And I couldn't help but just laugh a little. Like, you thought that was a legit strategy? I was like, you should take my course. <laughs> but I didn't have a course at that time. But this recent course that I came out with, um, you know, people will say such things, and I have to know that that's not true. I know that's not true, because I've helped hundreds and thousands of people. So in order for me to help this person understand, because I know it's just either a miscommunication or this person is coming from something dark that happened on their end and they're just reflecting it off of me, off, onto me because I'm an easy target, I just offered it to him. I didn't hear anything back. Um, there have been other people who have been trolls in the past who I've reached out to and I've actually had conversations with them on Skype, which isn't always recommended. Uh, <laughs> But then a lot of times those people just have misunderstandings and they, they see somebody reporting their income online and they think immediately that they're a bad person. But then after getting to know me a little bit, they realize, and actually some of them are my biggest fans now, which is really cool. Um, so that stuff can happen. It is a good sign because it means you're doing something bold. If you are always in the middle trying to please everybody, you're probably not going big enough. And that's the other thing that I've learned. Yes, yeah, awesome, thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. It's a great note to finish on. Thanks so much, Pat, for um, sharing. We uh, all look forward to your closing keynote today. Will you thank Pat? Uh, thank you, everybody. This is ProBlogger. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It's a bit different to normal being a keynote, but I hope it also gave you a bit of a taste for what we do at our events. Again, if you want to check out our events, um, we are holding it in Melbourne, Australia. So for some of you, it will be a bit of a trip to get out, uh, but particularly if you're in Australia or New Zealand or even different parts of Asia, or you're willing for to come out to Australia for a bit of a holiday, uh, we'd love you to come to either our training day for beginners or our mastermind group um, on the 10th and 11th of August. Again, you can head over to problogger.com forward slash events and you'll see both of the options there. Otherwise, check out the podcast show notes today where there's a full transcription of the whole show today. Um, our transcriptionist is going to be working hard because there's a lot of content in today. Uh, and again, the show notes today at problogger.com forward slash podcast forward slash 278. Thanks for listening. Chat with you soon. You've been listening to ProBlogger. If you'd like to comment on any of today's topics or subscribe to the series, find us at problogger.com forward slash podcast. Tweet us at ProBlogger. Find us at facebook.com forward slash ProBlogger or search ProBlogger on iTunes. This episode of the ProBlogger podcast was edited by the team at Podcast Motor, who offer a great range of services, including helping you to set up and launch your podcast, as well as ongoing editing and production of the podcast that you produce. You can check them out at podcastmotor.com.